1: This is At The Turn. It's time for discussion and interviews about the
0: world of golf you won't hear anywhere else. Here are your hosts, Nick Heidelberger and Joe Simons. Hello, hello. Welcome into another episode of At The Turn. Just Joe today. Well, that's not entirely true. I'm joined by Matt Brown. We had a conversation last week that lasted nearly an hour. Fascinating guy. He owns and runs Manzanita Golf Links. He's the GM and head pro out at Highlands, really a crucial, if not the most important figure on the Oregon coast in terms of golf. He was the mayor of Gearhart. He was the 2016 PGA National Merchandiser of the Year. He caddied at Augusta. He caddied at St. Andrews. We get into all of it. Before we get to Matt, do want to ask you to please rate and review the podcast. I know I do this before. We get to the real meat of every episode, but it really helps the show out. Go ahead and give us five stars wherever you listen and go to Piper golf, Piper.golf. Use that promo code turn 10 at checkout for 10% off already great value golf balls. With that, let's get to Matt. I feel like there's a lot of ground to cover with you. Just so much going on in your world and and, and your experience, but I, I got to start here. Uh, it was recently uncovered trailblazer star Damian Lillard has not been to the Oregon coast despite playing in Portland for a decade. Were you surprised when you heard that? What were your thoughts, man?
1: Yeah, I was surprised a little disappointed. Um, I'm not going to lie. Like, you know, Dame's a man of the people. We got to get him down to the Oregon coast. He's got to enjoy Gearhart, um all the way down the coast. I mean, I figured that he might not be a golfer, but you know, we can get him out on the fishing boat, we can, you know, get him at the beach. Um gosh, the sky's the limit. We gotta get him down here at all times. Do you think it's just like uh, I mean, do you think he's just like a city dude and like the hiking and just
0: the things the coast has to offer just don't interest mm-hmm. him, or you think he has so many obligations? Because from what I understand, I wasn't at the game. I think they just put it up on the Jumbotron, like one of those in-game interview things. It's like, hey, what's the shocking thing about you, Dave? And he's like, well, I've
1: never been to the Oregon coast. Well, yeah, I think you're exactly right. I mean, think about it. He's basketball 24-7. He's got his family now, three kids, right? Yeah. Um, although I think the kids and his wife would love the coast. Yeah. Because – You know, one of my favorite Blazers of all time, Jerome Kersey, he loved Cannon Beach. He loved the Oregon Coast. He'd be down for Sandcastle weekend every year. Um, You know, he'd come and hang out with everybody, go to the local watering holes, have dinner. Um, Just really loved it down there. I think it'd be great for Dame and his family because it would be a good opportunity on a couple days off to kind of chillax a little bit. Um, Because he's so busy all the time, he could just kind of shut the phone off and relax a little bit. I think it'll happen. The public pressure will eventually get him down there. Yeah, I think I was probably more disappointed on some of the reactions on Twitter, begging on the Oregon coast, like uh, like Chad yeah. doing. Gosh, did you see him begging on the coast? What? Come yeah. on,
0: I I know Chad. Come on, Chad. Chad, that was just an opportunity for Chad to take an antagonistic approach and drive interest. I don't, I don't really believe Chad sure. believes that about the Oregon coast. That's just that's just Chad style. Uh, I haven't talked to that guy nope. in a while. He's He's a lunatic. I love him <laughs> though. Um, no, so, great. Matt, let's, let's start from the beginning. So, are you, did you grow up in the Oregon coast? Are you, are you from the coast?
1: Yeah, totally. I grew up in Gearhart. Um, uh, my parents still live there. Uh, my dad built a house in 1975, which was the year I was born. So, they still live there. I grew up there. Um, went to Gearhart Elementary School, Seaside High School. Um, went to Linfield College. So, so definitely an Oregonian in my entire life, um, did have the opportunity to through golf though, to travel around to a lot of great places and work at a lot of great places. So it was cool to do that. But, um, but I just loved growing up in Gearhart. I mean, especially for someone that got into golf, um, kind of early, you know, while a lot of my friends were surfers and Fisher fishermen, my dad's a fisherman. Um, he's a he's a surfer too, but you know, I grew up right across from the Gearhart Golf Links, so golf was kind of a natural fit for me and started working in golf when I was 13 um, at at the golf course there. So there's just a lot of good golf down here. Um it's just a great great spot. So you mentioned some of your travels and you
0: caddied at St. Andrews for a season, you caddied at Augusta for a season. And my initial reaction when I hear those things is like, how how do you do that? Do you just show up at St. Andrews and you're like, you're in your early 20s and like, I want to loop. I'm here. How what does that process look like?
1: Yeah, I mean that's kind of basically it. Um, uh, a good friend of mine, my well, my best friend and I, we decided, hey, let's. Uh, we both love golf. We were like, let's go. You know, let's go travel around a little bit. So, um our first stop was St. Andrews. Um, and we had a good friend that, that designed courses over there and he could hook us up with, with a caddy gig at, um, a course just north of St. Andrews. And, um, so we decided, Hey, let's go take a trip there. And we didn't know how long we were going to be. It was kind of an open ended ticket. Um, but I think we got there in like May, early, or late May, early June and ended up staying the entire summer. um, just met a ton of great people in St. Andrews. I mean, St. Andrews for people that have been, it, it literally is like an Oregon coast town. So, so Dame it's, you know, it's like St. Andrews of of the Pacific over here. And, you know, St. Andrews is a college town. It's super cool, super quaint. um, And people just love the golf course there. And so the whole town is surrounded, um, you know, surrounds the entire golf course. So everybody's playing, everyone's out there walking their dogs, Um, and that was a huge influence on me when, you know, running the courses that we run, we, we want to try to be like that with a community type golf course. And so we were able to live there for a summer, met a ton of great people, caddied a little bit, um, but mostly played a lot. Um, you know, if you live in St. Andrews, you can buy a Lynx pass for, I think back then it was like 125 pounds and you can play all the golf courses for free. So. You can play the old course, the new course, the Jubilee, the Eden course. Um, They have a couple little par three courses there too. And so if you're a golf nut and just want to like hang out for a summer, I mean, that's the place to go. Seriously. It's so much fun. The people are great. Um, You know, our normal day would be get up, maybe caddy 18 holes and then play 18 holes at St. Andrews somewhere. Or, um, you know, if we're not caddying that day, just play 36 holes. Um and it doesn't didn't get dark till midnight some nights over there, so uh, we played a lot of golf so for folks that aren't familiar, I would assume it's not just the
0: old course there's a pile of courses in the area is that is that fair?
1: Yeah, so the Lynx trust um basically runs I think it's like six courses now or seven courses. I think they have that castle course there now as well, which wasn't there when we were there. um this is probably back in two thousand. Two, I think so it was a while ago but um but yeah, so you've got you've got St Andrews, right, which was you know people started playing golf there in the arguably the fourteen hundreds fifteen hundreds then you have the new course, and the new course is like if you never play the old course, the new course would be like the best golf course you've ever played it's so much fun, and it's the new course, but it was built in like eighteen ninety six or something or eighteen ninety two or whatever. And then you've got like two other really good links courses. You've got the Jubilee course. I think it was built in probably the forties or fifties, sixties, maybe. And then you've got the Eden course, which is like a mini old course. It's like a 6,000 yard old course with double greens and all the links undulations and stuff. So if you're a golf nerd and you love like golf architecture and stuff, um, you could just get lost walking those links every day. And we, we were lucky we have a, a, a really good friend named Scott McPherson who's a golf course designer. And we worked at one of the courses that he designed, um, just North of St. Andrews. It was called St. Andrews Bay at the time. And, um, he wrote, he's written, I think a couple books about the old course. One of them is called the evolution of the old course. Look it up. It's really, really informative, really awesome. Um, and he's written some other stuff and he was our kind of our tour guide when we first got there and he showed us around the, the old course for the first time. And um, have you played the old course before Joe? No, I haven't. Um, so the first time you play it, you have zero idea where you're going. It's there's just blind tee shot. I mean, the first hole is easy because you know, you're right there in the clubhouse and you can see right where the green is. But after that, there's just blind tee shot after blind tee shot So you could look around, you know, 360 degrees and not know where you're going awesome Um, so to have uh, a tour guide like scotty um who kind of showed us the ropes the first time and it probably took me 10 times playing it before you even have a clue on how to play it because you're playing in different winds you're playing in i mean even though we were there in the summertime it rained you know it's like the Oregon coast it rained like every other day so we were pretty at home there but um but just such a neat spot and the people there i mean. Unbelievable people. I mean, they just, they get golf. They get the community part about golf. You know, the course is closed. I think it's on Sundays as a park. So people are playing football and soccer and Frisbee and walking their dogs around. Um, yeah, it was I was a pretty love magical. That of it. I, love, I love that aspect of it.
0: I love that aspect of it. They close it and it's literally a public park one day a week. You think of the most historic golf course that we probably have in the world. And one day a week, they're like, no, we're shutting it down people are going to go out, have a picnic lunch, throw the Frisbee around. It's such a cool idea. And I wish we could bring that to the States.
1: Totally. It's so inspirational. And, um, you know, it, it was that time and and I had been working in the golf industry for a little while and I was like, Hey, this is what golf's all about. So if I ever get an opportunity to run a golf course or, or own a few golf courses or whatever, um, I want to copy that model. I mean, that to me is the most important thing. And, like I said, for, for locals, it's so affordable. I mean, 150 pounds a year, um, to play basically unlimited golf. Um, and then, you know, the tourists, obviously they pay a lot more, um, which makes it financially sustainable, but the way that they take care of the local people is really cool. So did Augusta work the same way
0: where you're able to Mm -hmm. show up and be a caddy, or do you have to have some sort of hookup because people have a lot of preconceived notions about the club aside from the tournament and the exclusivity just makes me feel like it would be difficult for someone to just show up and say, I I want a caddy for a summer.
1: Yeah. uh, So Augusta was a little different in that, um, we had, um, so my, my best friend PK and I, we worked at pumpkin Ridge uh, golf club for for many years and they had a caddy program over there and the caddy master one of his friends happened to be the caddy master at Augusta and sorry um, and so we met him and he said um, hey guys if you ever want to come and caddy at Augusta just gave me a call. And he, uh, I think he was like a Linfield graduate as well. So we kind of had that in common. And so my buddy and I were like, Oh man, we got to do this someday. And so it was, it was like right after nine 11, um, Mm -hmm. happened. And we were, we, we contacted him. We were like, Hey, I was, um, I had taken like a year out of golf and I had, I worked in this marketing uh, in like an office job. And I was like, I got to get out of this office. I can't do this. I'm, I'm used to golf. You can't do this. You know, I kind of graduated recently and I was like, God, I need a real job. I need to be in an office and stuff. And then I was like, no, we can't do this. So, so him and I said, let's uh, let's go traveling around. So we decided to give him a call. We said, Hey, can we, can we come caddy? He said, you know what? It's not a good year. We just don't know what's going to happen with the economy. We don't know how busy we're going to be um, with everything happening. And so, you know, I'd hate to get you down here and then you guys not be able to get you out there to, to loop and so we said, uh, okay, we changed plans. We said, let's go to Palm Springs. <laughs> and so we decided for that winter we're gonna go down to Palm Springs. We're gonna you know, work at work in a cart barn somewhere and just save up a bunch of cash and uh and then maybe go next year or or go to St Andrews or something. So that's what we did and then we went to St. Andrews. We got back from St Andrews and we called him back and we were like, Hey, we just got back from St Andrews, dude, we gotta do this Augusta thing too. I mean, it's only natural that we go with the you know the the back to back. So right, uh, he go he goes. Yeah, we'd love to have you. And it's weird at Augusta because they're closed all summer. They they're open from about October fifteenth to about May fifteenth. So that's their season. And then in the summertime, they literally close the course down and they like resod the entire golf course, like except mm. for the greens and and the bunkers and stuff, or uh, and some of the tees they'll they'll literally strip a bunch of sod off and they'll start making all those little subtle changes that you might see on TV a little bit. Like maybe they'll plant some trees or they'll, you know, soften a slope or add a slope or even change a little bit of the topography on some of the greens. So it's totally closed for the summer and then, um, and then open around October 15th. So it was perfect timing because I think we got back from St. Andrews, like probably end of September and And literally, like two weeks later, we were driving to Augusta um, from Oregon. Just one, we took one car. We took my my old Honda Accord, and just you know, we're going. We're going to do a suicide trip. We're gonna not. We're not gonna stop. We're just gonna drive straight through. I mean, the adrenaline, like uh, we're we're going to work (laughs) in Augusta, of course. Yeah, totally. Um, You know, never set foot on the property before. Didn't you know? Obviously, saw it on TV, but you have no idea. And we've heard stories like. You know, our our friends that um, had been there before, you know, told us a little bit about what to expect, you know, as far as the caddy experience, the caddy yard, all that stuff. So, but you, you had no idea when you go through the gate that first time and, you know, we went through the back gate, which was the, you know, the kind of the employee gate. So not the palatial on, Magnolia on Lane Drive them.
0: that you see all the players make. It's kind of like, hey, here's where everyone else goes.
1: Totally we yeah we we went the 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 regular way the yeah. the employee way and uh and so i mean we walked in that in that caddy yard and it was just awesome i mean it was just everything you could think of as far as like people that have been caddying there since they were young really young i mean the big guys that have been caddying there for 50 years wow and so we're a couple guys from Oregon. We roll up into the Augusta Caddy Yard, and we're super nervous. These, you know, these just legendary caddies that you've you've seen caddy for Seve Ballesteros and Jack Nicholas and people you've seen on TV and like early Masters and like you, you know they have all their like there's a caddy Hall of Fame. They have all their names and pictures are on the wall, and they've all got a great story about Seve. I mean, everyone had a great story about Seve. Everyone had a great story about you know, all the great golfers. And so, so yeah, we, we rolled into there. um, Didn't know what to expect. uh, Found an apartment that was like probably like a five iron from number five um, and lived there. And, and it was cool. We lived by a couple interns that were on the greens crew. um, So got to learn a little bit about what's what happens with the agronomy on the course and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And then literally from, you know you caddy every day it's just it's just a, a grind every single day um there you know there's always people playing and they usually play 36 holes 45 holes um i caddied for one pga tour guy right before the masters that ca- that we went i think we went 54 holes that day wow um with a with a big staff bag he probably had 20 clubs in his bag he was trying all different stuff and and that guy that i caddied for first practice round was Len Matisse. And then he went on to get oh, second no. place that year. He lost. It was the playoff. year he yeah. was in the playoff. Oh my God. Yeah. Wow. So, so the caddy master called me up and, and for the caddies, they all got, you all get tickets to the Masters. So you take that week off, everyone gets tickets, but like the week before is when a lot of the players come in. And, and so the caddy master will call certain caddies and, to say hey you know there's a player in town do you want a caddy for him that day or whatever and you know certain caddies uh kind of get that phone call and I was lucky enough to get a call and they were like yeah there's a, a player named Len Matisse and I was like who who is who's Len Matisse and uh yeah. so I so, so I go out there and meet him and you know he hit his driver probably as far as I hit mine like kind of a shorter hitter I was like who is this guy and so we ran around, had a great time. His dad was out there with us. And we just, you know, just kind of hacked it around a little bit. And I was like, this guy's so cool. Like, what a fun, fun life to have. And what a great guy. And I was like, but this guy's got no chance of winning the Masters. He just can't hit a part of Of course. And then, uh, then he makes this huge run on Sunday and like literally should have won the Masters. It was crazy.
0: Wow. So... I'll move off Augusta in a second, but I just have to ask what is, what is the the biggest misconception that you think the public has about the golf course or the property or the tournament based on your experience?
1: So obviously, and you hear, and you hear this one a lot. Um, you can't see the elevation on TV mm-hmm. of the course. So that's the first thing that, that we, that we noticed was like, Holy smokes. Like, you know the the difference between like the valley on number one to the top of the hill where people's drive go is is it's severely uphill or number 10 is like severely downhill um so that's the first thing you notice is the topography and the and the elevation changes are really cool i mean it's really really cool um the greens are crazier than you would ever think to look at on tv because again you don't really see the slopes and stuff um So then you understand why like somebody like on 16 is, you know, aiming 90 degrees one way for the ball to turn around. Or you see like where Tiger chipped in in 2005, like how that slope just takes it right down the hill. Yeah. So that's the biggest surprise. And your first day is, is, is putting training. It's greens training. So your first day is we would go out with, with one of our caddies, uh, or one of the caddies that had been there for a long time. And, he would take you to every single green and show you how every single putt broke. So I thought one of the coolest things was when I caddied for Len Matisse, I showed him a few putts on certain greens that he ended up making on Sunday. So I kind of felt like maybe I was like a little bit a part of it, you know, Wow! because I showed him a little secret break or something like that. Um, So those are the big things. The other thing is, um, you know, the course is in good condition, really good condition for master's week um but it also we noticed that you know we're really lucky out in Oregon to have the kind of grasses that we have here and have the conditions that we have in Oregon because over there you know you're overseeding you've got different kinds of grasses in Georgia so there's a lot of things that you need to worry about as far as you know growing in fairways growing in you know rough approaches and stuff and so you know, when we got there, the course, you know, this was in October, the course was in good shape, but I was like, gosh, you know, we're really lucky. Like pumpkin ridges in really good shape. You know, all of the courses in Portland are in really good shape. Um, and you know, they have, because of the weather over there and stuff, they obviously have some challenges the week before the masters of that course. Uh, you, you've never, uh, you, uh, you know, you would never see anything like it. I mean, it just, everything's coming together. Everything's blooming at the same time. Um, You know, even if there's like little areas that might be a little bit brown, you know, you you get the interns out there with a little green spray paint and kind of touch those areas up a little bit. Um, But yeah, overall, I mean, amazing, amazing place. So let's let's bring
0: it back to where we are uh, in in Oregon. So um, about what, 15 years ago, you took over as GM and head pro at Highlands um, and, and you've been out there ever since. Can you talk to me a little bit about that golf course, Manzanita, which you took over in 2020 and just sort of the, the feeling of an Oregon coast golf course, because we obviously have a lot of listeners in Oregon, plenty outside of the state and internationally as well, who they hear Oregon coast golf, they think band and dunes, but there's so much to offer North of that. I've played Manzanita half a dozen times. I love the place. It's one of those incredible, would you call it an executive course? Because I know it's threes and fours, but there's so many um, challenging shots where you're standing on a short par four and you think, well, this, this hole's 240 yards. I have to go for the green. And then you make an eight and you're looking back like, why did not I just hit an eight iron and then a wedge and then have a 15 foot birdie putt? It's such a unique layout. And I feel like that's the charm of both of those properties.
1: I agree with you 100%. It's like they're both shorter courses, you know, pars threes and fours. So you can play in under two hours, right? And it, to me, you know, my favorite golf holes are the short par fours because of that risk reward that you're talking about. So yeah, maybe it says 250 on the scorecard or 260 or whatever, but you know, you know, you can drive it, but you know, if you slice it a little bit, you're going to be in in the long stuff or you're going to be out of bounds. And <clears throat> You know, the Highlands has so many drivable par fours. Manzanita's got so many drivable par fours or holes with a lot of movement, you know, where you have to hit a big slice like number two at Manzanita or number four, where you have to hit kind of a draw around that corner. Um, and to me, those are the fun holes because you can be any ability and you can make a par on that hole. You can birdie that hole. You can eagle that hole or you might make a triple. Um You know, I've had plenty of times where, like, I've gone out there and had a good round going, and then I'm like, okay, I'm going to drive number five or whatever. Yeah, let's go. And let's go for it. And then you're out of bounds. And, you know, um, so, you know, and not just Highlands and Manzanita, but even courses like Gearhart and Astoria Country Club, they've got a lot of great short par fours. And to me, those are the most interesting holes, but they're the funnest to play Um, because, you know, You know, a lot of courses have like those 450-yard par fours, and, you know, those are kind of a struggle to play. So it's fun when you can um, have more of a risk-reward type of hole.
0: I was so excited to see when you bought Manzanita because I played it a couple of times prior to that occurring, and it seemed as though there was a little bit of doubt for the future of the property. And I had a chance to play Alderbrook before it closed in Tillamook County, And it's so important to have these properties on the Oregon coast. And I'm just wondering if you can speak a little bit about the decision, your inspiration to take on Manzanita while you were still running the Highlands property.
1: Yeah, for sure. You know, I, um, it was a total surprise that the, the, the whole thing came up. Um, I had talked to a few community members that were really worried about the course closing and, you know, it was a course growing up in, in Gearhart and Seaside. It was a course that my friends and I in high school would go down and play all the time. So we really loved the course. You know, I had some good friends in Manzanita and a lot of people thought the course was going to close permanently and they were going to try to build houses and things like that. And, um, you know, the, the thing that inspired us with the Highlands was, you know, affordable golf, sustainable golf, um, you know, everything's not going to be perfect all the time, but it's going to be a lot of fun, right? And it's fun for everybody, you know, families, kids, good players, beginners, the whole deal. And so I felt that exact same way about Manzanita. And so when I met with the owners and stuff and, you know, while they were selling the course, they, they still wanted to make sure that whoever took it over was going to continue it as a golf course and as community access. And so we were really aligned with that. And so we were able to kind of work out a situation where we could buy the course um, and then make sure that um, it remained a golf course in perpetuity or open space in perpetuity and that it wouldn't some, somewhere down the line turn into homes or, or whatever, some, some type of development. So we actually did a, um, a conservation easement on the course um, when we took it over. And it's with the city so that um, no matter what, um, it's gonna it's gonna stay a publicly open golf course, and my inspiration for that was really Saint. My experience at Saint Andrews was, you know, <clears throat> let's make sure that for the locals, it's gonna be you know um, always very affordable. We'll have affordable um, passes and memberships and things like that, and um, that um, you know, kids weren't allowed to play it much before we took over. So we did a really cool junior program um, with a $99 all you can play pass for kids, oh, that's you great. know, kids under 10 and under, yeah, it's kids under 10 and under get to play for free. So we really tried to open it back up. And what we saw is that way more families, the stuff started playing and bringing their kids out. So it was totally worthwhile. And then the cool part was, you know, as you know, on the Oregon coast, it, it can rain a lot in the winter time. And, you know, we thought, okay, you know, in the winter we, Let's close on Mondays because it'll be a great. Because we had so many, we have, and we still do. We have so many projects that we want to do because we're just trying to continue to reinvest back in the course any profits that we're making to just make it better and better. And so, you know, if we stay closed on Mondays and we use that as our project day, the community can use it as a park that day. They can walk their dogs around and they can, you know, play frisbee or or whatever else. And that's been a really cool thing for the community. Um, and we're usually closed. You know, Mondays like from November till, you know, March or April, depending on how the weather is. And you just see tons of people. We see people picnicking out there, um, walking their dogs, just having a great time. So that was definitely a St. Andrews inspiration there
0: for that part, for sure. That's got to build a lot of trust, too, with the locals. It's like, hey, Matt's doing his thing here. The kids can come out for a deeply discounted rate. And on Mondays bring the whole family and I have to imagine that that's been reciprocated a lot with what you've seen from
1: the last couple of years of you running the joint we definitely um got the the community has been so appreciative and so supportive um and you know I can't say enough about you know everyone that has helped us with the golf course I mean even to the extent of some of the You know, neighbors that live on the course or that live close by in town, you know, they come to us every winter and they're like, Hey, um, is there anything we can help you with on the golf course? Like, you know, Ralph that lives on hole three, he's, he loves cut. He loves his chainsaw. He loves doing chainsaw stuff. So he like wants to go around and limb up all these trees and, you know, cut broken branches from storms and things like that. And then you've got a couple other guys that like to just go around and like, uh, you know, they might want to weedy behind trees and stuff. So you you just get a ton of like community support in that sense. And, um, and you know, I, it's just unbelievable. Like I, like I knew the community would be supportive, but they really kind of take ownership of it as a community. Um, and they always have with the golf course. And this has really provided them kind of an outlet to help out.
0: For some reason I find myself at the Oregon coast uh, during the winter during the spring, not really as often during the summer. And the one thing that bums me out, because I always try to make it to Manzanita to play nine, no matter what the weather is, is I see this humongous sign that says Manzanita Open. And I always tell myself, I'm going to do it. I have to plan. I want to play in the Manzanita Open. Can you tell folks about this event, what it is, and just... Everything around it, because just the signage itself, and I've seen some of the pictures, and I know that no laying up guys have been out there, and and they've been a part of it. So, can you describe it for folks that are unfamiliar? It just seems so cool, man.
1: Yeah, it's great. And first, you know, let's get a team for you and Dame. Let's let's get a team for next year. We'll get I Dame and some of the Blazers and uh, I get love you it. guys down. We'll get Nurk um, on there. Yeah, let's get Nurk on there. Um, I think Shaden is going to be a really good golfer as well so um you know the great thing about this man's need to open is that um and they started it many years ago but it's through the eugene schmuck foundation who they donate um tons of money every year to local charities um like the food bank food drive um local education community stuff um they just have this huge list of charitable donations that they do and so they started this quite a ways back. And, um, every May, it's usually the middle of May, usually like that, that middle weekend, like around the 15th or so. And it's a three day deal, uh, four, four person teams, and you can play multiple nine hole rounds and you just get the whole community together. But then you get all these folks that just love Manzanita and love the Oregon coast and they, and they make it a priority to come down every year, uh, to raise money for, for the local community. And it's just a huge hit. It's super fun um you know the weather's usually decent in may sometimes so um there's a couple times where it rains but it's usually pretty good weather and it's cool just everybody gathers around they've got you know some people barbecuing hot dogs and hamburgers on the first tee they've got beers on every hole um and it just brings people from all over the place to play and um like you know like you said i mean just people talk about it all the time they're like okay what are we doing for the open this year you know what's going on here and so you just get folks that come back every year and and just have a blast.
0: My first experience with Manzanita was probably like seven or eight years ago. We rented a house. I think it's on hole five on the fairway, maybe six. And we were just having a fire outside. Nice night. And all of a sudden we saw in the distance just like his flashing red lights. And we heard people. And the lights were coming closer to us. And we heard some dogs. And it's... We're kind of trying to figure out what's going on. And I was like, oh, shit, they're they're playing some night golf down there. And my buddy was like, should should we go? And before he even finished the sentence, I'm already walking down to the green. And it's just these people who live on one of the holes. They seem to do it every night. And we just putt at night for like 90 minutes with these people. And ever since that moment, I'm like, oh, my gosh how do I live in Manzanita? How do I get to be a part of this community? There's just, I mean, the word vibe is so overused these days, but there's no other way to describe Oregon coast, these towns in a place like Manzanita and just the welcoming, inclusive feeling that you have
1: there. Yeah. It's such a whole vibe. I mean, um, and it's so cool that, you know, the locals all buy into it. The visitors all buy into it. Um, you know, and it's just, that's how these coast that's how all the coastal towns are. You know, it's like you go down to the local bar, you know, in Gearheart, it's the Great Wall, right? And you, and you walk into the Great Wall and you meet all these people. Everyone's got this really cool laid back vibe. Um, everyone on the golf course, you know, so many golfers that play um, in, you know, in this area. And it's like, they just want to have fun. Um, you know, it's a little different at Highlands than it is at Manzanita. Highlands is, um, there's kind of a gated community. So you get a little bit less of, um, you know, people just walking on the course and hitting a couple shots or whatever. But Manzanita is a whole kind of a different thing. It, you know, the layout's a little different. There's like a lot of wooded areas there and stuff. So it's like the perfect thing for night golf um, or just, you know, throwing a couple beers in your bag and, and going out and playing a quick three holes or four holes. You know, we've got the people that live on the course and, you know, sometimes they'll call the shop and be like, Hey, can we start on a whole three and we're going to come around, you know, things like that. And, um, you know, we kind of, we kind of encourage that out there. I mean, not that we encourage people like, you know, sneaking on the course or anything like that, sure. but it just encouraged like that kind of vibe out there. And, um, and it's been really fun. I mean, the night golf thing is something that we haven't done yet out there. Um, but it's something I'd really like to do. Cause we, uh, we've done it at Gearheart a few times in the past. And as long as you don't accidentally walk into a bunker or drive a cart into a bunker, um, it's pretty fun. Uh, and so I'd love to get a little more of the night golf scene going out there. It'd be perfect for that.
0: Yeah, it really would, especially with the size of the course. So I see you sporting the hat. You got the King Sevy cup, the merch and the branding that you all have done over there is brilliant. I see people walking around Portland with King Sevy t-shirts, sweatshirts all the time. Can you talk about your inspiration for making that part of what you do is this really cool, kind of fun I branding, for lack of a better word?
1: Well, we definitely, when when we took over Manzanita, we thought, you know, we let's rebrand a little bit. Let's kind of freshen things up and you know, I, I kind of come from a merchandise background at Highlands and, um, you know, what can we do to kind of spruce that image up a little bit and rebranding a little bit. And so, um, we wanted to do something really fun, um, that, you know, that would catch on, that was a little subtle, um, but, but kind of out of the ordinary as far as golf. And so, um, yeah, we hooked up with, um, so my friend Akbar Chisti from Seamus Golf, uh, the guy that designed his logo is a, is a buddy named Chad DeWild and he does logos for, it's really cool. He's got two things. He does logos for golf courses and breweries. So what a niche. I know it's such a great niche. Like he's always designing a can for somebody. I think he did a bunch of stuff for like 10 barrel and like a ton of breweries in Portland and a bunch of different brands. And um, he did, you know, the logos for Seamus golf and, um, Akbar's like, Hey, come meet Chad. Let's, let's go downtown. So we met him in Portland. Um, I think we were at Jake's and we just started drinking uh, whiskey and and Chad's like, what do you want to do? And I was like, dude, I kind of want to do some kind of animal or seagull or something. So we had some ideas and, um, we just kind of invented like this whole story about King Sevy, like that night over some scotches and um we're like god this is so cool and, and there's always like like on hole five there's always kind of a legend of like this crazy seagull that would you know you'd hit your shot and you couldn't see where it landed and then you get down there and the seagull would like steal your ball so there, there there's always these stories like back in the late 80s of this happening where we're like okay let's turn this into like the legend of king seve and seve was just you know one of my favorite golfers right and sure so we were like we got to name that we got to name him after seve Ballesteros. So, so working with Chad was great because you give him some ideas and then he'd come back to you and he would be like, Hey, what do you think about this? And be like, that looks awesome. Let's try this. And so he came up with the King Sevy logo. We started just ordering some stuff and people, it started flying off the shelves like hats and t-shirts and hoodies and things. And then, um, you know, we would do a little bit on Instagram with it. And then all of a sudden we would be getting these orders from like Florida and Texas and you know, then the no laying up guys would, would wear a t-shirt and then, you know, then we'd get all these orders for stuff from all over the country. Um, some of our head covers, we, we did like a, like an animal head cover of King Sevi through, through Daphne's head covers that do all the animals. And they custom made us this King Sevy one. And, um, this guy, like a couple months ago from, um, uh, Europe, I think he was from Sweden was like, Hey, my buddies and I love your logo and we love seagulls. Um, we call ourselves the goals or something like that. And they're like, can we order like 10 of your head covers? (laughs) And so we shipped them over to, to Sweden. Um, so yeah, it's really taken off. It's been really fun. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's taken off more than, more than I thought. And we've had a lot of fun with it. So we've even done some, you know, like blazer inspired stuff with the, the Seve City logo. Yep. Um. And we'll support that. So when I go to a blazer game, people will be like, Oh my God, where'd you get that? You know? And, um. and so it's been really fun just to, to mess around with that stuff. Uh. And, um. and to, and like you said, like to go down and your downtown Portland or your, we had a friend that, um, was in uh, Texas a couple weeks ago and she took a picture of this person at a concert with a King Sebi hat on in Austin, Texas. We we're like, Whoa, like how did you get that? And, you know? Um, so that, that kind of stuff's been pretty cool. And we, you know, we don't really put like the name Manzanita on a lot of our stuff. It's kind of just the logo. And some people are like, well, gosh, I wish it, it said Manzanita on it. And I was like, yeah, it'd be cool. But isn't it cool when people ask you like, where's that logo from as well? So yeah, the mystery too. To understated, exactly. Totally. Yeah. I've, well, I've been
0: on the website the last couple of days. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make a movement for for the next couple of years. I'm really going to try to be a visor guy. So I know you have a King Sevi visor. I believe it was sold out the last time I checked. So I'm going to keep. I'm going to keep refreshing the website. I got to get myself a King Sevi visor because it looks so clean with the white bird, the white bill. I love it. So I'm, I'm very excited. To get that. Also, you were being a little bit humble earlier when you said you were in merchandising. Folks, Matt is the 2016 PGA National Merchandiser of the Year. And I did want to ask about that because, and correct me if I'm wrong, it is a a shop at Highlands, but it's primarily a mail order situation. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. Um my mentor Dan streit um, who I used to work for back at Gearhart, and then he bought the Highlands in the early nineties, he, he started kind of a golf mail order business, you know, back when it was like Edwin Watson, golf Smith and all those folks. And he just kind of developed a clientele over the, over the years. So when I was in high school and I worked for him, he kind of taught me everything I knew about merchandising. And it was mostly hard, good stuff, like, you know, how to customize, how to custom fit people, how to get people in the right clubs, um, you know, how to provide a good value, how to, um, and, you know, basically how to sell mail order. And then, you know, after college, when, when the internet, you know, when e-commerce started kind of getting popular with Amazon and stuff like that, uh, Dan called me and said, Hey, look, we should, we should try to get a website. And so I was like, okay, let's build you a website. So we built discountdansgolf.com and just kind of continued his, (laughs) yeah, I mean, that was his nickname, discount Dan Stripe. And so it just seemed perfect. And you know when he retired is when we we bought the business and took over the golf course, and just kind of continued exactly how he does it. So um, you know we just kind of over time have built up this loyal customer base from all over the country. It used to be you know mostly the West Coast, like Washington and California, but now it's <clears throat> all over the United States. And you know we're big uh, dealers of like uh, Titleist and Callaway and tailor-made and all the big brands and it's pretty cool because um you know we we ship all over the country but then if you come into our shop we've got you know for a small shop on the Oregon coast we've got quite a bit of inventory in the shop and we can custom fit people and everything else so winning the merchandiser of the year in 2016 was a was was i was very very humble about it and i really owed it all to dan and so it was really cool that dan was there uh, during that period of time, he passed away in 2018, um, and we miss him a ton, but he was really my mentor and my inspiration for everything. And so that award to me was, uh, was as much to do with what he taught me as it was the hard work that, that me and the staff put in, in in selling golf clubs. That's so cool.
0: And as if you didn't have enough on your plate Mm -hmm. that same year, you decided to uh, run for mayor of Gearhart, and, and, and you won mayor Matt Brown. What was that
1: like? Well that was crazy. Um, so so election night we we were in New York City because I was accepting that PGA merchandiser the, the year award the next day. And I was so nervous because I thought god if I lose and I have to accept this award because they're going to make a big deal out of it. They're going to you know it's going to be part of the presentation video yeah, and of stuff. Course. So yeah. I got god I got I got to win this thing. And um, so I was super nervous all day. My little sister Molly lives in New York City. She she works for CBS College Sports Network, and so she, you know, we were hanging out with her, and she was like, "Let's go out to dinner um, for election night and everything." And so we went out to dinner at one of her favorite places, and then we went to one of her favorite bars. And um, we were sitting there drinking, and I the nervousness is kind of worn off because I was about four, five gin and tonics deep. It'll do at it. that point. That'll do it. And um, so then one of our friends that was with us said, "Oh my God, you won!" And I was like, "No way!" And uh, and it was like, "Yeah, you won like eighty percent to twenty percent or something." I was wow. like, Oh my God, that's awesome! And so we're at Molly's favorite bar, and and the bartender and she knew the bartender and everything. She's like, "Oh my God, let's get shots! Everyone's going to take shots!" So <laughs> so we lined them up, we took shots, and everybody was yelling, celebrating. And then the entire bar just went quiet and everyone looked super sad. And I was like, what, what happened? And they're like, Trump just won. (laughs) 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 What a roller coaster.
0: Oh, and I mean, and and you're in New York, so you're probably not getting those results until what? Like
1: 11 PM, 1130 PM, New York time. Totally. Totally. And where our hotel was is was right in the center of everything. I mean, it was you know a few blocks from like Trump headquarters. I think Hillary headquarters was a few few a wow. uh, few blocks away, and so it was really like the center of, of a lot of stuff. And um, yeah, so that was a really crazy night. I mean, just a lot of emotions, a lot of roller coaster. And then the following day was the presentation for the um, merchandiser of the year, and it was pretty cool. They had like got the clip from the local newspaper, like the seaside signal that had a picture of me. And it was like, you know, mayor Brown or Brown wins mayor, of heart. Yeah. So I was, I was really fortunate and really lucky and, um, and really enjoyed my time as mayor. I mean, it was, uh, you know, it started out, um, in 2016 and then it kind of, you know, my term was over after, uh, with the pandemic. So my last year was, trying to navigate the local community and the whole county, working with other mayors and county officials on, on how do we, you know, what do we do here for the, for the pandemic? And it, it was kind of, it was difficult at the coast because, you know, after lockdown, everybody was trying to get out of the cities and they wanted to come visit. So we had this influx of people down here at the coast and, it was kind of scary for local people because nobody knew how this thing spread. Nobody knew like what they were supposed to do. And so there's just so many unknowns. Um, And so we kind of spent that last year was, was just trying to keep people safe and trying to navigate through the first year of the pandemic. So it was, it was, (laughs) it was a roller coaster for sure.
0: Also kudos to you because I watched the clip of you accepting the award and, you know, it's, it's a pretty big deal. Like Dave Marr is on stage and, I mean, that room looked like there was like 500 people in it and it's just you and Dave Marr, like talking about you. And I gotta say, you didn't seem hung over at all. You seemed like you were, had your wits about you and
1: you were clicking on all cylinders. I'm sure adrenaline kicks in at some point. Absolutely. And even though I was a public official and stuff, I, I, I'm not great around big crowds. Um, I, you know, public speakings, I definitely get really nervous and a little anxious. So, um, but yeah, I was probably like, you know, on that perfect, like a little bit hungover, but like kind of, <laughs> you know, when it's kind of, when you play your best golf, you just don't, you don't care. Um, yeah, exactly. And, and everybody was so cool. And, you know, and we had, we had a dinner and we all had a few drinks before that too. So it, it was actually really cool. They made you feel really comfortable. Um, the whole production crew there for the PGA was great. And, um, and, you know, um, Mar was awesome and all the hosts and stuff. And it was just, you know, it was a proud moment to be with a lot of other PGA professionals that um, have won, you know, not only the Merchandiser of the Year awards, but like the P- the Professional of the Year awards and Teacher of the Year and stuff. And so, so these are, you know, friends that I met then and, and that we still keep in contact with. And um, usually the, at the PGA show every year is, is a Merchandiser of the Year conference before um, that I go to every few years. And that's a good time to, like, um, get back together with those people and share all the stuff that you've learned and everything. And I, I get so much inspiration from the, those guys. Um, and a lot of that has led to some of the stuff we've done with King Sevy and Sir Eldrick at the, uh, at the Highlands, the Elk. Uh, we call him the Pin Slayer, um, And so it's a lot of inspirational stuff that you learn from those guys. And so I'm super appreciative of that.
0: Well, Matt, you've been so generous with your time. We're going to get you out of here on this. We're going to do a rapid fire segment. I'm going to ask you 10 questions. We call it turn 10. It's brought to you by Piper golf. Use promo code turn 10 at checkout to save 10% off. Incredible golf balls. Matt, are you ready? Ready. Number one, Jack or Arnold Arnold. Number two hole in one or lowest round ever. On one, interesting
1: because I only have I've only got one of them.
0: I like it. Number three, what was the best part of being a mayor?
1: The people, uh, the interactions with regular, everyday citizens and folks—that was awesome.
0: Number four, what was the worst part of being a
1: mayor? A lot of phone calls about neighbors stealing golden retrievers, stealing tennis balls from other golden retrievers, and then the elk. There's always calls about our herd of elk uh, complaining about the elk just destroyed my yard.
0: My God, the elk. Number five, what's the most you've ever paid for a round of golf, Matt? I don't know
1: if I've ever paid
0: for a round of golf. Wow. You know what? I'm going to leave it there. That's the best answer we've ever (laughs) gotten to that question. That's unbelievable. Number six, what's your favorite club, Matt? Favorite club in the bag that you got?
1: My five wood.
0: Mmm. Tasty. Number six.
1: Yeah.
0: Excuse me. Number seven. What's the most important putt you've ever made?
1: You know, I made a putt. um, This is a short memory, but I made a putt the other day that was like a 25 footer to win the match at Astoria on 18. Yeah. And... At that point, that was the most important putt that I made in my life, for sure. But I th- I I'm sure it. there's others if I think about it, but that was pretty important.
0: Number eight, fade or draw?
1: Oh, I'm a fader. Um, fade all day. I fade my bowling ball.
0: <laughs> it's never going Have you ever right
1: heard of that. No, I fade a bowling ball. That's...
0: As long as it's consistent, look, as, as long as you're consistent, yeah. the ball flight's the same. It doesn't really matter.
1: It's really, really, Number
0: nine, are breakfast balls ever okay?
1: Yeah, they're okay at Manzanita and Highlands.
0: <laughs> Another reason to come out. And last one, how early should someone arrive to the course before their tea time?
1: 25 minutes.
0: Mm, That's good. Matt, you've been incredibly generous in speaking with me for nearly an hour. Thank you so much for doing this, man. I really appreciate it.
1: Thanks, Joe. Thanks for having me on. That was a lot of fun.
0: I'm Lacey Evans.
1: Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time at The Turn.